0: but I encourage you to uh, open your Bibles again at the, uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2. We'll be looking uh, uh, particularly at verses 11 to 14 of that chapter this morning. And as we do so, let's pray that uh, God will be gracious to us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great message of the gospel which promises your grace to us Through faith in the Lord Jesus, we pray that we might have eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to love and and wills to obey what you bring to our attention through your word. And We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Knowing what to do uh, and actually... Doing it successfully can be two very different things, can't they? They're not necessarily the same. For example, as I mentioned before, we taught our children, didn't we, to to wash our hands before they came to the dinner table? But did they always? Uh, We taught our children to brush our teeth uh, before they went to bed. But again, do they always? And we know God expects us to tell the truth. But do we always? And we know that God commands us to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. But have we ever? Have we ever? I mention those things because if you remember back, uh, it's a month or so now, uh, Peter and James and John and Paul And Barnabas and Titus, as we read in an earlier part of of this second chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians, they, they had gone to Jerusalem and they'd come to a consensus. And that consensus had been reached without any compromise. And the consensus was this, that the gospel to be preached to the Jews and the gospel to be preached to the Gentiles was one and the same. One and the same. Salvation was and is by God's grace and only by God's grace. It was through faith in Christ alone and only by faith and only by faith in Christ. Whether the people who were listening and believed were Jewish or non-Jewish or Gentiles. Uh, And there were, of course, uh, outcomes from that. And the particular outcome that had been dealt with as a result of that consensus without compromise was that Jewish Christians did not have to be circumcised to be full Christians. Uh, It was faith that saved, whether a person was Jewish or non-Jewish, circumcised or uncircumcised. And the principle that was established because of that was that the Old Testament ceremonial laws, of which circumcision was one, were now defunct. They did not apply. And Peter knew, and this is why we had the passage from Acts chapter 10, Peter knew from his vision on, the, on that rooftop in Joppa that, that not only did it apply to circumcision, that it applied to food. Prior to this, the Jews had a list of, of um, foods they could eat and foods they could not eat. But that was now superseded. And that surely, that makes this incident, which Paul now relates in Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 11, that makes it all the more remarkable and all the the more hard to believe and to understand and to explain. But I want to try and do that by looking at the three people who uh, form the nucleus of of this incident. Uh, There's Peter and there's Barnabas And there's Paul. We're told in verse 12 uh, that before certain men came from James, he, that is Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So sometime after that meeting in, in Jerusalem where they agreed that the gospel was the same, whether it was re- applied to Jews or non-Jews. Uh, Peter had paid a visit to this church in, in Antioch. Now, there are two Antiochs. Uh, this is Pisidian Antioch, not uh, one that's further up into Turkey. The church in, uh, uh, now we don't know how long this visit lasted. Uh, it would seem that was a reasonable length of time, uh, but just exactly how long we don't know. Uh, this church in in Antioch, it was at the forefront of the early church's missionary activity. Antioch, by the way, was, was the third most important city in the Roman Empire. There was Rome, of course, and then there was Alexandria, and then there was Antioch. Uh, and this city of Antioch had a large Jewish community. And uh, as we read from other places, the Jews often lived in their little enclaves of their own for all sorts of reasons. Antioch also, if we had read earlier in the book of Acts, Antioch uh, was the first place mentioned where Jewish Christians actually started taking the gospel to the Gentiles, which in itself was a remarkable thing to be doing. This church was the first to have a combined congregation of Jewish Christians and non-Jewish believers worshipping together and fellowshipping together. And it was this church that had sent out the first missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, to go to other places with the gospel and preach, of course, mostly to the Gentiles. And this was the church to which uh, Paul and Barnabas had returned after they had finished that first missionary journey. So it's a place of some importance in the in the life of the early church, and it's a church whose equilibrium was disturbed, not by Peter's arrival. There was nothing wrong with Peter going there, but by his actions subsequent to the arrival of certain men from Jerusalem. Of course, you know, if Peter had kept to the consensus that had been arrived at. Within himself and James and John and, and Paul and Barnabas and so on, uh, then these men would have been given short shrift. Uh, and even though they'd made use of James's name, uh, they still would not have got a foothold. But instead of that, instead of that, Peter was persuaded to change his behaviour. And these men who belonged to the circumcision group got Peter, of all people, to renege. Because his action in withdrawing himself from and separating himself from the Gentiles said, in effect, look, you people, you haven't been circumcised. Therefore, you're not fully Christian. Therefore, I can't eat with you. I can't share a meal with you. And that that seems hardly possible, doesn't it? And this is Peter we're talking about. Peter who's regarded as as the... Chief of the Apostles. This is bold, impetuous Peter. And he's reneging. He's reneging out of fear. But yet, you know, if you think about it a bit, this is not the first time that Peter has given way to fear, is it? Who was it who denied Jesus three times? It was Peter. Peter. And of course, along with the other apostles, when Jesus was arrested, had Peter stood up and while the others went? No, Peter had fled as well. Now, we all know that there is a, a church that claims Peter as the first in the long, unbroken line of, of leaders, uh, and they say that this uh, line of leaders which began with Peter and, and is unbroken to the present day, that they say that the that these particular men speak infallibly. Well, in light of the Bible's picture of him, isn't he a strange man to choose in that sense? But look, fear can make cowards of us all, can't it? I mean, how often, for instance, do we keep the facts that we are Christians under wraps? How often do we fail to speak out when Christ's name is used as a swear word. How often do we fail to, as the little hymn puts it, speak just a word for Jesus, with our, even with our family and our relatives and our friends? In the armed forces, they used to talk about conduct unbecoming an officer and a gentleman. Well, Peter was certainly guilty of conduct unbecoming a Christian, wasn't he? But how do we? How do you rate? How true it is that what we say and what we do can influence others, either for good or for ill. Uh, And we need look no further to see an illustration of this truth than with that wonderful man, Barnabas. See what it says in verse 13? The other Jews joined him, that again that's Peter, in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas, it's almost as if Paul's underlining, even Barnabas was led astray. Again if we'd gone back into the earlier chapters of of Acts, we read about Barnabas. His real name was Joseph. Uh, He was given the nickname Barnabas and given that nickname by the apostles because he was such an encouragement and such an encourager. I mean, this was the man who, along with Paul, had been teaching in the church in Antioch, teaching the Gentiles. And this was the man who, along with Paul, was sent out by that church on this first missionary journey, the first missionary journey that was specifically targeting Gentiles. And this man, even Barnabas, joins in the hypocrisy. I think we could paraphrase what Paul is saying here like this. You know, Even as I write these words, I'm staggered to think that Barnabas, Barnabas, my fellow worker, Barnabas, who did so much for me when I was first converted, Barnabas, who was with me when we met with Peter and James and John, Barnabas, to whom hypocrisy is a dirty word, that even Barnabas, of all people, could be led astray. It's unbelievable. And yet, it's happened. Well, what was this hypocrisy which uh, even influenced Barnabas? The hypocrisy was that there was a discrepancy between the truths of the gospel and the practice of the gospel. What are the truths of the gospel? Well, J.I. Packer says the truth of the gospel is this, that justification is God's act of remitting the sins of guilty men and accounting them righteous, freely, by his grace, through faith in Christ, on the ground not of their own works, but of the representative law-keeping and redemptive blood-shedding of the Lord Jesus Christ on their behalf. Any mention of... Being a Jew? Any mention of being a Gentile? None at all. None of those things at all. And Peter and Paul, they both believed, they would have said, J.I. Packer, you got it right. That's what the gospel is. But Peter reneged on his willingness to put it into practice by refusing to eat with uncircumcised Gentile Christians. I mean, one day he did. With Cornelius he did. The next day... He didn't. And we see the influence that Peter's behaviour had on others. I mean, if Peter, an apostle, a pillar of the church, if he's no longer eating with the Gentiles, well, I'm hardly likely to, am I? So Peter and then other Jews and then even Barnabas replaced principle with expediency. It's a reminder to us, isn't it, that even the best of Christians can be led astray. And I can tell you from my own limited experience that there are many temptations to put expediency before principle. I'm sure we've all experienced that. So I pray with you, I beg you to pray for your interim moderator and for the elders and for the members of the board. Uh, I pray for those in leadership positions not only at a congregational and a parish level but also at a presbytery and assembly level because there always can be pressures to not put into practice what we believe. And the last thing we need in the church and in our own lives is the sort of unedifying compromise that even Barnabas was guilty of, isn't it? And this led, of course, to uh, Peter's unbecoming uh, conduct and Barnabas's unedifying compromise put Paul in a situation where there was unavoidable confrontation. Unavoidable confrontation. If we look back in verse 11, it says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. And then in verse 14, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You're Any idea of how awkward a situation that was? Here's Paul opposing Peter. And not just privately, but openly and publicly. Other Christians down through the years have had to do that. And Martin Luther is is one of the most uh, obvious ones. Uh, and if anyone ever had to show that sort of commitment that Paul showed in, in standing up to, to Peter, then it was Martin Luther. He had to front up be called what was called the Diet of Worms. Uh, uh, nothing to do with worms, <laughs> but, but that was the Diet, like the Parliament, uh, similar to that. In 1521, 490 years ago last October, uh, he had to front up to the Emperor the emperor's brother, six electors, 24 dukes, eight princes, 38, uh, 30 archbishops, bishops and abbots, seven ambassadors, and so on and so on. In fact, he had to stand up in front of 206 bigwigs altogether. But he fought for exactly the same truth as Paul did. And when uh, uh, when one writer says, when By God's grace, Luther saw that it was by faith alone that he could be saved and not by his own good works. This writer tells us, The light of the truth shone with such brilliance and brought such deliverance into his spirit that he felt Paul's words, The just shall live by faith, were the very gate of paradise. That's how much it gripped him. All right, with that sort of background, we need to ask, where Where was Peter wrong that Paul had to oppose him in this way? Well, it's summed up, isn't it, in Paul's words to him. If you, who are a Jew, do not live like a Jew but live like a Gentile, why on earth do you try to make Gentiles live like Jews? Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you trying to make these Gentiles obey the Jewish laws that you've abandoned? It doesn't make sense, does it? So as Paul says, Peter was clearly in the wrong, clearly in the wrong. His behaviour was hypocritical. He was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. The truth being that both Jews and Gentiles, and we can add to that without adding to scripture, that also means both men and women, both boys and girls, both old and young, both single and married, whatever sort of pairings you want to make, if they're justified, they're all justified in exactly the same way. It's not because you're a Jew or a Gentile or a man or a woman or a boy or a girl or old or young or rich or poor. No, all who are justified before God are justified only by faith and only by faith in the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Do you know that means that's, it's no accident, no coincidence that, that the catch cries of the Reformation, uh, which we more or less say started with Luther, it's no ca- coincidence the catch cries of the Reformation were grace alone and Christ alone and faith alone. Now Peter was not wrong to live like a Gentile. But he was wrong to expect the Gentiles to live like Jews and to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles just because they weren't circumcised. That was wrong. Well, how could that apply to us today? How could that apply to us today? Well, we have many migrants in Australia. And if they're Christians, and many of them are, um, how welcome would they be in our congregation? If they are Aboriginal Christians, how welcome would they be in our congregation? Would we suggest that well look probably be better if you went and formed your own? And I think the reverse is true as well. If they did have their own congregations, how welcome would we be? The point is this, that if God accepts all sinners who are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, then so should his people. Now, it will happen. It does happen and will continue to happen that someone, somewhere, will be called upon to take a stand for the truth of the gospel. You may not think it could be you, but could it be you? It doesn't have to be in front of a great congregation, but it could be anywhere. Let me conclude by telling you uh, of another great man of God who saw this issue clearly, that if a person became a Christian, then all the other uh, walls were broken down. I'm referring to William Carey, the great Baptist missionary to India, often referred to as the father of modern missions. And when he went to India... If you know anything about India, there's a caste system, and you get the very high caste system people like, the, like the, the Brahmins, and you go all the way down to the Dalits who get all the dirtiest jobs. And of course, if you're a Brahmin, you have no association with a Dalit whatsoever. But Kerry refused, utterly refused to compromise with this, this Hindi caste system. And so he said to the Brahmins, those of the, of the highest social standing, he said, if, yes, you can profess uh, faith in Christ, you can profess that you've been converted, but we will not accept you as a genuine convert until and unless you are prepared to associate with the lowest or what had been considered the lowest, the Dalits. Only then. And of course, there were many other missionaries who said, oh, no, 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 that, that's, you know, we can work up to that. We can get around to that later on. No, said Carey. He knew the implications of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And he was right, wasn't he? Just as Peter had been wrong. And again, for us today, in our situation, in these days of political and religious correctness, the issue is this we must be prepared individually and collectively to stand for the truth of the gospel. Now, I know October is a long way away, but uh, the 31st of October is often remembered as Reformation Day, the day when God, in his grace, began the process of reasserting the fundamental truths of the gospel. That is, if you are to be saved, if you are able to stand before God on the day of judgment, it will be only because you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the interim... There are many challenges to the Christian faith and its practice, even in Australia. And we may, very much sooner than we expect, need to stand up for those truths. Now, uh, we're going in a moment to sing uh, hymn number 259. And as we sing this closing hymn, which is actually, the tune is called Luther's Hymn, uh, which is interesting. But as we sing this closing hymn... uh, consider, I I, I beg you, please consider the question, which of these verses here describes you? Which of these verses here describes you? Well, let's pray first. Father, we thank you for the glorious truths of the gospel, that all those social uh, distinctions and all other distinctions are cast aside, that uh, saving faith is the same for everyone simple repentance from sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. Please may that be uh, our experience, our joy, and may we uh, share that wonder of your grace with other Christians, uh, whatever their background, uh, whatever their situation may be. In Jesus' name, amen.